Welcome to the Jew and Gentile Podcast. I am your host, Chris Katolka, and with me is none other than the Jewish sage himself, the one and only Mr. Steve Herzig. How are you, sir? I am doing great, Chris. Uh, we are uh, doing this podcast right now, but last week we have we have news about our cups. We have news about a our mug, cups. A mug on a mug. A mug on a mug. We got great news about that coming up. We've got. Uh, we're actually starting a whole new series today because Revelation is done. We're clicking a Revelation gonna, is done. We're done. That's Revelation. Yeah. God has given no further revelation. <laughs> Genesis to Revelation done. It's done. Hold on a minute. Welcome in, welcome in. Hey, thanks so much for being with us. Uh, yeah, we're starting a new series uh, today. It's going to be a quick one, uh, but you know, Steve grew up in an Orthodox Jewish home, and so we asked him to bring some of his tchotchkes in. <laughs> Would you call them tchotchkes? Uh, I call them my bag of tricks. Bag of tricks. Uh, that's right. That- and that's no disrespect. It's a bag. You'll, In fact, uh, Chris, I know you've been to Israel, and uh, when you get by communities, Mishareem and other places like that. The ultra-Orthodox, yeah. You'll, you'll see people, uh, the men particularly, running around with various bags like this. Mm-hmm. They're decorated differently, uh, but it has their things that they need for worship. That's right. And they carry it with them. You can't carry it on a sh- on Shabbat. You'll leave it at the synagogue and get there and use it. But otherwise, you carry it home with you, and it's got all your stuff. Fantastic. So we're going to go through your as you call it, bag of tricks. But on Hebrew, in Hebrew there, in the Star of David, it says tallit. Is that That's right? right? That's right. Yep. That's our, what we're f- going to talk about first. And so all of that actually comes from an article that was recently published on our blog um, at the FOI blog. Uh, shout out to our blog. We have all kinds of bloggers. I, it's, when I first heard the word blogger, I thought, <laughs> is that a disease? Is it a a blowhard? Uh, what, what is a blogger? Yeah, no. Nope. And then there's vlogger. Vlogger, what, blogger. What is the this? Well, ex- one is just people writing, and the other is people videoing. So you got a video blog, and you have a just a regular blog. Ah, there right. is a technical term to it too, and I don't know exactly what it is. So, what's more popular, blogging or vlogging? Oh, I think they both are just as equally popular. I, what's vl- your preference? I don't. I. I I always have to do it for Friends of Israel, so I don't really even know. Like, it's not like I do. So you vlog and blog. There's, a, you know, when we do our video news and whatnot, that's. Oh, that's vlogging. That's, I wouldn't, it's video, like it's professional news, but like, I think it falls within the vein of, of vlogging. But I take what we do here at the, at the Jew and Gentile podcast, and I convert them into what's called uh, YouTube shorts and, um, and Facebook reels. We don't use TikTok but uh, they're little vlogs. They're little tiny. You know, we take little quips of what we do here so that people can get a taste of the podcast. Gotcha. So I I never knew that. You've I, been vlogging. I, I've been blogging without writing. They just took my. It's great. Hey, Steve, you're on. Yeah. What did I do? Nothing. Nothing. Here you are. You're already you're already blogging and vlogging, and you don't even know. It. I don't even know. Isn't it. that a nice life? It, it's great. Oh, you're a professional blogger, huh, Steve? <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, the the blog took uh, Steve's. Um, uh, chapter um, or section um, from his book, Jewish Culture and Customs, which we want to feature, and we will feature in our show notes so that you can purchase his book, Jewish Culture and Customs. It was actually at one point two books. It was called Jewish Culture and Customs and then more Jewish Culture and Customs. That's right. And it's a lot of the stories of you growing up in an Orthodox Jewish home, uh, everything from the Feast of Israel to what we're going to be looking at today, 
the various elements of prayer for Jewish individuals, uh, and they cram it all into a, a one book now. And so you can get two for the price of one. It's the, it's such a deal, as you would such say. Such a deal. Such and so deal. we'll put a link to that if you'd like to purchase Steve's book, Jewish Culture and Customs, if you'd always wanted to learn more about uh, Jewish culture and customs. So uh, anyway, this this is a, se- a section that comes from his book. We'll be looking into that. We've got, uh, But I got bad news, Chris. What's that? I do have bad news. We've been talking about my bobblehead and my bo- behind you oh, other way. Oh, it's my other way here. Here he is, mm-hmm. my bobblehead. And I was looking for. He's got a smile on his face, but he's kind of sad. Yesterday, you texted me. Uh, you should. I don't know if you could. Hold, you have that picture or not? That's me. But you texted me your bobblehead. Mm-hmm. It came to your house. And it, oh, it does it look exactly like you? And today, this morning, Chris comes in, Bupkis. Bupkis, I Bupkis. forgot it. He forgot the bobblehead. So uh, my bobblehead is still lonely. Steve just, is very just Steve, the Jew, no Gentile. Steve, I mean, Steve is a boss. Could have laid into me. He could have said, "You forgot about it. You're fired. Get out of here." You know. But I will say, this morning I was getting four kids ready for school, and it wasn't until I, or not school for camp. It wasn't until I dropped them off and I was driving down the highway. I go, oh, I forgot the bobblehead. I was trying to remind myself all morning to get it. So anyway, we will feature the bobblehead at another time. Yep. You're getting ready to travel, too. I am getting ready to travel. I'll be headed uh, to see my mother, 99-year-old mother. I'm looking forward to that. Blanche. Uh, then I'm going to be in Chicago, see my son. Then I'm going to be in uh, Wisconsin. Lake Geneva Youth Camp, and I'll see my daughter and two grandkids and son-in-law. And then we have our Prophecy Conference, mm-hmm. which has changed this year, Chris. In the past, we've been at Winona Lake, and I've been with FOI long enough where it started on a Saturday and ended on a Saturday. Then it started on a Saturday or a, a Sunday and ended on a Friday. Then it ended on a Thursday. Now it's starting on Friday and it's ending on Saturday. Yeah. No, it's just two days long. And they've actually even rebranded it, too. It's called the Proclaim Conference. And this year's topic is actually called The World on Edge, where we're going to be looking at kind of the global transitions that are happening, the changes that are happening globally to help uh, you know help you see that God's plan is not thwarted. You know, I always love that about the Apostle Paul. When you get to Romans 11, I really think his big argument is, hey, I know it doesn't seem like it's the way that you thought it would be, but that doesn't mean God's plan is thwarted. And so when you're looking at what's going on in the world, the, the transitions that are happening, all the things that are going on uh, globally, uh, that doesn't mean God's not in control. And that's what this whole thing is about. Uh, 100%. The world on you and edge. I actually have... Uh, message four and message eight of the eight messages, except that I'm going to be in Winona Lake. You're not going to be in Winona Lake. That's and right. you are going to be in September in Lancaster, and I'm not going to be in Lancaster. So you and I have uh, the same four and eight messages. That's right. And so because we have the same messages, I'm actually just going to steal right from you. Okay? Take whatever you want. The blind Make- will lead the blind. <laughs> Uh, but I will miss our time at Winona Lake. Hey, listen, if you are in the Tampa area, uh, Tampa, Florida area, the Lancaster, Pennsylvania area, or in the uh, Winona Lake, Warsaw, Indiana, 
area, I encourage you to go to foi.org, and there you can find out about our Proclaim conferences, where we proclaim biblical truth about Israel and the Messiah, and what's going on globally in the world as well from a biblical perspective. So I encourage you to go to foi.org to find out how you can get involved. And also, just a, a fresh reminder, uh, the the Jew and Gentile podcast. If you're if you're new, if you're just tuning in for the first time, welcome. Hey, uh, the Jew and Gentile podcast is actually sponsored by FOI Equip, Steve, where you get to learn the Bible from a Jewish perspective. Well, and I think it's so important, Steve, as you study through the scriptures to understand the Bible that it's a Jewish book. You know, when people say, "What do you mean by a Jewish perspective?" It's because I don't think most Christians stop for a moment and get the Bible out that they take to church or the digital Bible or the the Bible that they read during Sunday school or their small group or their devotions or wherever, they don't stop and think, oh, wait a minute, this is a Jewish book through and through. From Genesis to Revelation, it is Jewish. It, and what we're going to even talk about today, the tefillin, the, the, the talit, these are all things that Jesus would have would have donned in, in, in his uh, lifetime. Where did all that come from? Why is it important? We have to know these things. And that's why FOI Equip is a great resource for learning the Bible from a Jewish perspective. No question, Chris. It's really exciting to be able to do. And uh, wait a minute. Uh, this is the last week for Tim. That's right. right? Tim uh, Harrison has been teaching early heroes of church history. And um, the those people who helped define uh, the uh, orthodox doctrines that we believe in as, as Christians— um, some things we, you know, I was thinking about it as Tim was teaching, you know, there are things that we just take advantage of. We take advantage of the fact that we believe that God, that Jesus was both a hundred percent God and a hundred percent man. And we just take, oh yeah, that's what we believe. But people had to fight for those truths in the early church. And, and, uh, so Tim's been walking us through some great heroes of early church history to help us understand where our orthodox principles, our doctrine comes from about, about who Jesus is, about what the scriptures teach, uh, and things of that nature. So that's a great way to connect people to, uh, the FOI equip. hundred percent. Uh, we have a text number that people can contact us, 424-444-1948. Uh, and I'm glad that you brought that up because I actually got a text the other day and it somebody was, was texting us. That's uh -huh. a first. Well, number one, a lot of people had some <laughs> a lot of people had opinions about bed rotting. Last week we uh. had talked about bed rotting. Do you remember that? I do. <laughs> uh bed rotting is a Gen Z, they're saying a Gen Z thing where they uh people feel like self-care. They work so hard, they work so much that they need some self-care. So what do they do? They lay in bed all day long with their cell phone. And there was a picture in that article of a, a girl in bed with Tupper, empty Tupperware with food still in it uh, and drinks. And, yep. all. and she's just on her she's phone. She's there all day. Rotting away. And so somebody wrote, bed rotting. Oy vey. My cousin's daughter does this often. She calls it taking to the bed. And she, <laughs> and she has a five-year-old daughter. So that was one. Oy. Uh, uh, <laughs> Let's see. That, that's a What's question. that kid doing all day? Here's another one. We, we This guy and I went back and forth. Um, he says, uh, bed rotting is ugly. Kids nowadays are so quote unquote busy. A microwave meal is too much work for them. 
<laughs> that was a good one. That comes from the 846 area code. Uh, another person said, um, someone embracing the verb rotting unto themselves is just another sign of the times. Calling bad good and Western society turned over to the debased minds, idleness, seduction, uh, decadence, ind- indulgence, and all the other stuff. So that comes from 618. We had a great conversation about um, this guy and I back and forth about uh, bed rotting. But that that's interesting because I do always, he, he brings up a great word here, decadence. You know, I always think a lot of our problems in American society is also the thing that we love about American society. And that is money, money, money. When you have money and you have wealth, you are the richest country in the world. Well, then guess what that means? People can lay, you have the, the, the decadence, the opulence to be able to lay around in bed all day long and no one's going to go looking for you. If you didn't, society needs you if you don't have a lot of money. You got to be out there farming, tilling, whatever to survive. But hey, look at when everything's taken care of for you, you have the freedom to just lay around all day, you know, and bed rot. Well, Chris, you know, I I watched a video yesterday and I thought it was a joke, but then somebody said, no, it wasn't a joke. It was a a gal uh, who was doing this herself. She was taping herself, and she said, I just want to give a shout-out that I have lateness syndrome, and people are unreasonable to me. I have lateness syndrome. I can't get to work on time. Lateness syndrome. It's lateness syndrome. And I thought it was a a joke, and then somebody, no, there's articles written about it. This person says they're against me because I have lateness syndrome syndrome oh my you know i've actually instituted but in the past whenever it comes to me driving and my kids in the car steve it was always my daughter was always the oldest she's 12 and so she'd sit in the front seat and the twins and levi would sit in the back but now the twins are getting older so i've instituted a new policy and the policy is this first come first serve for the oldest three and my daughter she's like she doesn't know what to do with herself because she used to just be able to come out whenever she wanted and sit in the front seat and the boys were in the back. Well, now guess what? The twins will race each other early in the morning. It's great. It's uh, like they capitalism. Want shotgun then, oh, huh? they, yeah, they do. It's capitalism for the front seat. You know, who can get there earliest? The fe- You know, all of it and uh, schmooze their way right up to the top. My daughter gets in this morning. She goes, this is out of control. I'm always late. I'm always going to be in the back. I she said, has lateness <laughs> she syndrome. Has, he's telling me. It's an illness, Chris. lateness you syndrome. You got to treat her well. If, Olive, you have lateness syndrome. That's right. We, we need to help her out. We got to get her going. Hey, listen, this is a question that came in through our text line. And again, it's 424-444-1948. If you have a question for Steve, I'm always going to throw him right to Steve because he's our Jewish sage. But uh, this is a good one here, Steve. This comes from our Texas friends in 972 area code that says, what is the difference between the translated bodies of Enoch and Elijah and the new bodies of the raptured saints now in the grave? Hey, that's a good question. That's a great question. There is nothing in, in the text that I'm aware of except the person of God. If he called them up, they're ready. Mm-hmm. If, if, if if I don't do you know of a place where it talks about their bodies now? Well, th- that's the thing is that there to me, there's two things going on here. We're talking about El- Enoch and Elijah are two people who were we believe were living, breathing, and then God and, caught them. They up. caught them up. That's right. And then the other component is uh, is the fact that those who are dead and buried will also rise. But so, they're diff- they're different. 
They're different, but they're also the same. One's just dead and one's alive, but they all go to the, they all accomplish the same task. It's that's hundred percent. I always call the rapture because I think the rapture has gotten a bad name because it's been, you know, people just, they go, oh, the rapture. They, I, I see it in their eyes. You know, they go to the left behind series, people my age too, you know, they've, oh yeah, I've grew up in a church that believed in the rapture, that kind of thing. To me, it, I, it's the resurrection of the church. And what does that mean? These are believers, whether they're alive and walking around or dead, they all accomplish the same thing. The rapture actually comes from the Greek word harpazo, which is to to um, snatch, snatch so, up, but a violent, yeah, a violent, violent yep. snatching. Mm-hmm. And the the picture there to me is that it doesn't matter if you're dead or alive, because that's the question. Well, what happens to the dead? You know, if I'm alive and Jesus comes, uh, what about the dead people? Well. No matter what happens, they're going to either come out of the grave or they're going to be alive, and they're all going to accomplish the same thing. They're going to be resurrected, and they will meet the Lord in the air. They will be harpazo, raptured up. So whenever people say, oh, there's no rapture in the Bible, no, you're oh, right. Oh, They're I, right. The word is oh, not in no, there. No, the word's not there, but— I, The you, Greek word is. Jesus was raptured. He That's was, true. He, and he was resurrected, and, he, and then he, I Caught up. the angel. I would have been— I would have been, wouldn't you? Yeah. I'd be looking up like this, and then the angel kind of yells at him. Says, I know. Why, why are you guys looking up? What? what why, why do you? Why do you? I, he's, he's, go, he's going up. I didn't even. See, they didn't see any cables. No. Or? The best is he says, "Why are you marveling at this? Why? 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 Are, are you looking at this? No. He was. He was snatched up. E- Elijah snatched up. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were. There's countless examples of that and then in the future there there are going to not just the rapture uh the two witnesses they're there they die and then they're people are celebrating giving gifts and then they stand up first they stand up they're lying on the ground then they stand up and then they're taken up mm-hmm. uh, it's amazing yeah so is there a what's the difference i don't that's the thing i don't think there is a difference i do believe that there is a uh, uh, whether they're dead or alive, the point is is that Paul is saying you don't have to fear whether you're dead or alive because you will all be resurrected and caught up to meet Christ in the air. That's what and I what believe. what a is. day it will be. I hope that answers our question for our 972 area code. Again, if you've got any questions, comments, concerns, anything you'd like to throw Steve's way when it comes to Jewish culture and customs, biblical uh, prophecy, any of it, you can contact us at 424 444 Give us an update update on the mug on a mug. We were there. Uh, what what's the update? When could we have them available to the seven listeners who we have? Well, I don't know when we're going to have them available, but we are working with a company right now, Dave Co. Dave Co. Give a shout out to Dave Co. Dave Co. We drove all the way out from New Jersey to the to Lancaster to Amish Town and a big big uh, swag factory. It was amazing. They do printings, all this stuff. And so we found our mug, we have our picture, so now we're we're sending it in to get processed, placed on the mug, and I don't know when it will come, but we're going to be ordering them, so Mug on a Mug is in the works, Steve, it's happening. I Your could, dreams are uh, coming uh, true. I've been dreaming about this for a long time, I want to have a cup of coffee with Jew and Gentile on the mug. Okay, I like it. So we'll have our Mug on a Mug coming. Oh, and Steve left that place, he's like, I want shirts, I want this, <laughs> I want mugs. Steve has got the big vision, I love it. So it was exciting going in there. It was 
great. It was it was really Claire was fantastic. His son Chris. Yep. They treated us well. Big and, shout out to Dave Co and Claire and Chris. Yep. yep. Was, that was no. It was great. And uh, I I just uh, the seven listeners are entitled uh, to a mug. A hundred percent. So that mug on a mug is coming again. Four two four 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 nineteen forty eight. Real Shoot quick, us a test. Chris. I want our listeners to te- to text us what. Besides the picture of you and I on the mug, what would they want? What saying would they want on the other side? Okay. Yeah, there you go. 424-444-1948. Okay, so Steve, um, before we get to that, you wanted to share something from Did You Know? Yeah, and we then, haven't done Emily Stone in a while. I know, so we've been talking about Jewish life after death. Yeah, so, we, yeah. so Emily wrote uh, here on page 121... <laughs> I loved you, J-E-W, just the way you are. A sampling of famous intermarriages. Now, this is dated. This book, uh, did you know, comes from uh, around 2010. Mm -hmm. It was published. uh, And she's going back to some of Jewish people, not just the Bible uh, Jewish people, but in, in American culture, at least. So Moses, a Jew. The Cushite woman, not a Jew. Uh, King David, a Jew, daughter of King Geshur, not a Jew. <laughs> Esther, a Jew, and Ahasuerus, king of Persia, not a Jew. Uh, Guinevere Halevi, Jew. Opera composer George Bassett, not a Jew. <laughs> That's Sammy- a big jump from <laughs> Ahasuerus and Esther. <laughs> Sammy Davis Jr., uh, best Jew ever, she says. <laughs> She, she puts in parentheses, best Jew ever, and Swedish actress, Mae Britt, not a Jew. And um, her last name was Britt. B-R-I-T-T. Oh, okay. Not but, like a Brit Mila. No. <laughs> oh, oh, man. That would have made her Jewish. Yeah. <laughs> ben Stiller, Jew. An actress, Christine Taylor, not a Jew. George Burns, Jew. Gracie Allen, not a Jew. Lauren Bacall, Jew. Humphrey Bogart, not a Jew. Woody Allen, Jew. Sun Yung Priven. Soon Yi Priven, not a Jew. John Stewart, Jew. And Tracy McShane, not a Jew. Okay. Next time we do it, Chris. Wait, I got one more. Steve Herzig, Jew. No, Alice Herzig, not, not a, a Jew. Jew. Even though you we were saying this morning that Alice Herzig is probably more Jewish than I you're am. You're the Shiksa. That's I, what. You... No, the Shagets. <laughs> yeah, the Shagets. Shagets. Oh, Gentile there's a, sh- man, a Shiksa's a girl and a Shagets is a guy. <laughs> I'm a you're, sh- you're the Shagets. Uh, compared to her, no question about it. I love it. All right. Well, Steve, this is a great time for us to move um, to uh, what are the Talit and the Tefillin? Let me read this section from our blog that you can catch uh, at uh, foi.org. And it says this, daily at first light, except on Sabbath and the holy days, Orthodox males, and in some cases females, don the traditional religious garb, all making sure to put the items in just the right place, in just the right order. Each worship experience serves as an opportunity to identify afresh with their people and their God. This is big. Actually, Steve, this is really big because I've been reading a book about, you know, Jewish identity. Circumcision plays a major role in Jewish identity. Sabbath, people don't realize it, but the idea of taking off for a day, Friday night into Saturday night, and, you know, even it doesn't matter the quality of it. It just, you know, that's what this writer was saying. It doesn't matter how detailed it is. The fact that you're stopping for a night and you're giving God the honor, some Orthodox are very intense about it, and some, you know, more conservative and religious, not so, you know, not as much. 
But the fact that you're stopping is an identifying factor that you are Jewish. There's a line that I was reading that said something, uh, it was uh, that the, it was the Sabbath that has carried the Jews throughout history. The idea that it, what has maintained an identifying factor of Jewish people is keeping the Sabbath, but that even keeping these elements uh, that we were talking about here, the talit, the religious garb, are identifying factors of Jewish people. And you know, when people see these things, they know right away, oh, that person's Jewish. And it does what, Chris? It sets us apart. That's right. And and it's felt. It's felt for the people who look at it, but it's also felt for the for the person. They know if you're in a minority position, which Jewish people are in the diaspora, they're always in a minority position. Uh the one thing you want usually when you're in the minority is you don't you want to be stealth. You don't want you just don't want people to know because you're different. Mm-hmm. Well, what Jewish people are commanded to do is, yeah, you're different and you are in the minority, but it doesn't matter where you are. Just like when Daniel was taken captive, you got to pray three times. What's yep. he, they pass a law not to pray. What does he do? He knows that people are looking at him in part because he is the uh, second in command. What does he do? He throws open the windows, Mm -hmm. so that everybody can see. And I'm telling you, uh, just identity-wise, when Jewish men went into the army, especially in World War II, and they were in the same barracks, the Jewish men were marked out every time, every single time. And all kinds of stuff is said and talked about. Fights happen just because they're different. Or they take the time for Shabbat to whatever degree. Or they... Uh, they push aside pork uh, when everybody's eating it. And it's it's always that identifying factor. And you, as a Jewish person, have to tough it out. Yep. Or you just, as many people, you wimp out. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's true. And I've done both in my, before, when, uh, growing up. You don't want to, you just don't want people to laugh at you. You don't want people to say what's going on. And on the other hand, there's times you stand proud. Mm -hmm. The idea is to be consistent. God marked us out. And that's why that first paragraph is the way it is. And isn't it interesting, Chris, uh, that as believers, the one thing we don't want, I I think I could say this, most people don't want to make waves. Nope. But we are increasingly living in a culture where you have to make decisions, sometimes sometimes multiple decisions in a single day. And sometimes you could stand proud or stand tall, and other times you wimp out. Mm -hmm. But it all revolves around, is is this what I am? Is this what I believe? Uh, And I have to demonstrate that in some way. Back in the day when I was a, a young Christian in the late 70s and early 80s, they used to do what's called door-to-door ministry. Uh, it's hard to imagine today with a stranger knocking on the door mm-hmm. that you do. They got the, the cameras on the doorbells oh, now. Yeah. But back then, uh, you, there were people in churches, when they did this door-to-door ministry, they would see a mezuzah on the door and say, uh, well, we don't have to go there, they're Jewish. And mm. so they move on. But the Jewish person was saying, a Jewish person lives here. Identify. I, I agree mm-hmm. with you. That is a very important aspect today 
And it was in the Bible as well. You know, I just, the, the quote, the Sabbath quote I was ta- talking about, I had said it wrong. It was, the Jews didn't keep the Sabbath. The Sabbath has kept the Jews. And the idea of carrying them through history is an identifying marker that uh, that we are who we are because God commanded us to rest on this day. And so it actually, the, these I, the, I, what we're going to show you today, the talit and the tefillin, it, it's not just something that's absolutely made up out of the blue in rabbinic Judaism. It's grounded in the Torah. It's grounded in 100%. the Bible. And it says this, this comes uh, from Deuteronomy, I believe, chapter 6, but it says, speak to the children of, yeah, no, no, sorry, this is Numbers 15, 38, and 40 through 40. It says, speak to the children of Israel, tell them to make tassels on the corner of their garments throughout their generations and to put blue thread in the tassels of the corners, and you shall have the tassel that you may look upon it and remember all the commandments of the Lord and do them, and that you may not fall uh, uh, follow the harlotry to which your own heart and your own eyes are inclined, and that you may remember and do all my my commandments and be holy for your God. So you know when you see Jewish people, this moment that that they're talking about these these tassels with blue thread, these this has a name. Uh, and Jewish people wear them. So maybe you could share the name. Sure. You could, could show it. We're talking about the Talit, Chris. Ah. And uh, the Talit actually is the garment that holds the fringes or the tassels, if you will. Yep. Uh, so, Steve, if you're watching on YouTube um, uh, online, uh, Steve is showing the. Oh, you're putting it uh, on. Put, you're put donning on. the religious. Don- That's right. That's. You know, Chris, uh, if for those listeners, all seven of you who've been to, if you have been to the wall, the Western Wall, mm-hmm. you might see um, uh, some of the men and, well, none of the women at the wall, but uh, in synagogues, they'll put the talit over the their head, head mm-hmm. like this and let it so that you're focused straight ahead. You can't get distracted to your right or to your left. Mm-hmm. The idea is... Uh, we're about to go to prayer. Uh, we um, we concentrate. Prayer is a concentrate. Have you ever said a quick prayer? Oh Chris? yeah. We do it here sometimes. Yeah. We always want to pray before one of these podcasts, but some are longer than others. Yeah. Right, Chris. Uh, well, and I even uh, when I, I when we go to the Western Wall in Jerusalem, and you can see Jewish people wearing these in other ways too. But they do a they do a sometimes the ultra orthodox will. Go Davin. back and forth. Davin. Davin. And I asked them, why, why do you do that? And I go, to stay focused. It helps us stay focused when you're moving, and you can stay focused on praying. I so. call it chuckling. It drives Alice crazy. <laughs> There's <laughs> something within the DNA of especially Ashkenazi Jews. Even when we're sitting, I take my leg and I move it up and down real fast, and it vibrates. And when we're in a church service, Alice will look over to me at the whole <laughs> Will you stop it? Oh yeah, your leg starts jittering. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, we move, we we go back and forth, and then there's actually uh, in the liturgy, there's times you're to go up and down and up and down, but then there's times you bow down, mm-hmm. and uh, various texts indicate that that's what you should do. But the talit carries the fringes, and Chris, there's evidence in the text that there was an outer garment that Jesus. War that had the fringes. Mm-hmm. Do you remember? I do. The that was the Syrophoenician woman. That, that's right, and she touched the hem of his garment. That's 
exactly what the talit has. The hem of his garment and the fringes uh, are at the at the edge of the garment. So that's so, what she would have grabbed there when he exactly. said, I f-, that was the, also the same account when he says, I feel my power so, draining something's out. Gone, something's yeah. gone here. Yeah. Some, something's happening. And so, Chris, the colors remind us of something in relation to Israel today. Yeah, that's very interesting. It's the flag. The flag has that blue and white. In fact, if you hold it up this way, it does and look put like a Jewish it. star on it. That's a great point. I never is that what it comes oh, from? Oh yeah. Oh, I that's, didn't realize yeah. that. It's it's like a mini. No fringes. They on should it. have put fringes on it. That would have really stood out. <laughs> that would have been the old flack with, with fringes. They're trying to stand out, you know. <laughs> but the idea is what what evidently the designers did is they said, hey, let's take what's identifying us in public all the time when we worship. And put it on the flag, and they added the Star of David, and it's distinct. I, it's especially when you see uh, other flags. A lot of flags look the same; mm-hmm. they're uh, different colors. But if you if you ha- have a, a a background of all the different flags of nations, some of them kind of run together. But Israel's really stands out. I'm mm-hmm. not saying it's the most unique, but it's it's. It is out there. What, what, can we also go back to the fringes? Those the, are there six hundred and thirteen of them. Can six, you describe that? Yes, there's uh, each of the there's four uh, longer fringes uh, that that actually talk about uh, from a the four corners of the earth mm-hmm. wherever we are, uh, and then the, there's little fringes, and each of when you add them all up. All the knots, which are all hand done, it's that's why talit could be very expensive. It adds up to six hundred and thirteen. Six hundred and thirteen mitzvot. We've talked about that word here on the podcast. Mitzvot are the commandments. There's uh, commandments thou shalt, and commandments thou shalt not. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the uh, thou shalt not are three hundred and sixty-five, I believe. Uh, one for every day of the year <laughs> corresponds, <laughs> and 248 thou shalt. Uh, and so, Chris, for me, that's part of my testimony. Think of that, 613. We talk about the Ten Commandments. Those are the first ten. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> that's, and those are ten. They're the bullet points. 100%. Uh, look, I'd flunk the first ten. Any, Everybody, <laughs> all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's no one... The only human being who was able to keep the law was also, as you started our podcast, he's God himself. Mm-hmm. He's man, but he's God. And he was the only one. He was able to, to fulfill the law. He was, he's the writer of the law. He fulfilled the law. He was the only man who was able to do that because he is wholly righteous. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the law taught me sin. That's because God is holy and we are we are not. And, you know, the, the whole point of the Talit, um, what we're looking at here is, you know, I think a lot of times can go, oh, that's old Judaism. You know, it's in the past. You know, it's done. And it's it's true. That's the way Jewish people worshiped and they still worship today. But there's there is something that's very important about it. And that is the fact that, it, it as it says in the text here, it says, you shall have the tassel that you may look upon it and remember, remember, remember all the commandments of the Lord and do them. And so the whole point of the prayer shawl 
um, uh, th- what you put on is to remember. You're you're taking a moment to stop and to remember uh, God's commandments, and there are 613 of them. But that doesn't that, that doesn't make it a bad thing. No, the uh, law is holy, just, and good. That's right. And it, it's you know it was important for people to have things that you would remember by. We we have something that we remember the Lord by. It's, do this in remembrance of me. It's the Lord's Supper, taking the bread and the cup. We do these things not because we believe Jesus is in the bread and Jesus is in the cup, but he's telling us, take these items, which were connected to the Passover, and remember me through them, my shed blood, my broken body. And when you put that on, when a Jewish person puts that on, I don't know what's going on in their brain or in their heart, but the intention that should be there is one of remembering God's holy law, God's holy commandments, his His Torah. And so that's important. It's, it actually had a purpose. It wasn't just to be um, ritualistic. It was to remember. Oh, Chris, we had to dress to worship. That's a concept that uh, today in the United States is not—nobody <laughs> no, does that. But there was a day in our culture uh, 30 to 50 years ago and, and before that when you went to worship, uh, you dressed for it. It was a special time. Uh, and so I know in synagogue, I dressed in my talit. I had a yarmulke. We'll talk about that in another podcast. Uh, I You put on the garb for worship. But, Chris, I couldn't go into the auditorium, the, the synagogue worship center, where the bima is, where, where you step up on a platform, and where the ark, where they keep, the, the Holy Torah, uh, the scrolls. Mm-hmm. I couldn't go in there with shorts on and flip-flops. <laughs> you know what's they funny? They might it's- do that now. I have, I, it's actually been a little while since I've been at a Shabbat uh, uh, service. But I know growing up, there was no way I could do that. You had to, you had to dress up. Mm-hmm. And it marked, that was part of the thing you had to do. You know, uh, you write this in uh, your, it's not, it's a blog, but it comes from your book, uh, Jewish Culture and Customs. Uh, you wrote, originally worn as an outer garment, today it's primarily worn by men and women in Reformed congregations as a prayer shawl during public and private worship. Can you explain that a little bit more? Sure. It, it, it's part of, again, what you talked about, the identifying factor uh, that Jewish people have. It In Jesus' day, it was an outer garment. It it. it that's what they wore from from their neck down, and the fringes would hang down. Where over time, uh, and and the diaspora and things changed, dress changed, and Jewish people became more assimilated in the culture where they were. Except when it came time to worship, and they have the uh, talit, the shawl, if you will. They place it over. It's supposed to be the man who does it, but uh, reform Judaism conservative. Jewish women felt left out and wanted to be part of it. And so many congregations who have women rabbis now, they will also put on the talit, mm-hmm. uh, but it's an outward sign. This is worship. This is, you know, we have the shawl off, we're talking, we're kibitzing, we're, you know, <laughs> we're up. We put the shawl on. It's it's time mm-hmm. to worship. Now, in Orthodox world, you say many observant Jews wear a talit katan, a small talit, under the shirt. And I've seen this before, so that the fringes may be displayed at all times. I see this when, especially when we go to Brooklyn with our encounter group and we hang out with our Orthodox Jewish friends up there. You know, they're 
you can't see the undergarment because it's covered by, but you see the tzitzit. The, 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 the tzitzit are there as the main, that, that's the main thing. That Why? You just talked about it, Chris. The 613, when, when you see those fringes, you know that that person, first of all, you know they're Jewish. Secondly, you know they're observant. Yeah. Uh, and you know that the law means something. I mean, really extraordinarily means something. They're striving, they're telling you, by this, uh, the talit katan uh, is it's you put on. Let's say you wear an undershirt uh, first, then you put this uh, garment over. It has two fringes on the front, two fringes on the back. You t- you can tuck your shirt in, uh, but you leave the fringes exposed so that it's a outward display of who you are. Chris, you're a gentile. You're leading gen- mostly gentiles. There's a Jewish guy. He's observant. Mm-hmm. You know right away. Yep. He's identifying himself. There's another identifier, too, um, and uh, maybe it's a good time to talk about this, because when you go to Israel, you know, um, the, the idea of being secular and religious, is an in, it's a little bit different than America, because you can be, you can believe in a God, and but but it might not be the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and that might even just label you into the secular world. Uh, but a religious person is somebody who believes in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And if they're not ultra orthodox, you can pinpoint them right away. But the, but let's just say they're you know religious and they do their daily job. They usually wear a yarmulke on top of their head in Israel. That's a good sign that they are religious when they wear a yarmulke. And you've this. got your your I got yarmulke. A few of them, Chris. Let's oh, you got see. a couple. Uh, yeah, let's see. Is this a Boston Red Sox? Yeah, that's from Alice's brother. He gave that. He's uh he's lives in Connecticut. Yeah, you got your Scottish one. I got this from John McKim. Yeah, Scottish. <laughs> <laughs> and oh, here's another one. Oh, another Scottish that's one. That's right. That's right. And what else do I have in here? Uh, I think, oh, this is the one I got from, I think, Jonathan was traveling in Europe and got me that. Your son? Yep, when he was in this uh, All right, we're Air up Force. to four. We're That's, up to four. Uh, here's another one from John uh, Wagner. All right, with another Boston Red Sox one. Yeah, and then I got this, and then I got this. That's it. That's, okay. all, that's all there all is. All right, so we, uh, the yarmulke or kippah. Kippah, uh, yep. Yarmulke is Yiddish, mm-hmm. and kippah is Hebrew. And so you can say either one interchangeably. All the time they do. Um, but a yarmulke is something that's also designed to mark a Jewish person. Right, it takes your bald spot right out. Yeah. Look, I'll show you. Oh, yeah, go ahead. I'll, I'll, I'll put one you. on there. See, see, I'm, I'm bald up at the top. Yeah, you got some balding. Put that baby on there. Can't and even it notice. it looks like you got hair. That's right. You're honoring God, <laughs> and you got your hair there covered. There you go. <laughs> uh, but th- th- there's a... There is a religious ritual component to it that you're honoring God by covering your head. You're saying you're under the authority of God. And that's the key, Chris, right there. You know, uh, uh, yarmulkes came after the apostle Paul, who wrote to men that you need your head uncovered. Mm-hmm. So people are saying, oh, you see, Paul's going against his own background, and uh, he's against all that stuff. Well, the problem is... There was no yarmulke in his day. It wasn't defined at that point. It came much later. And when it came, it came for a purpose. I I don't know of what council. There probably wasn't a council, but there was a meeting. The Jewish men were lording power over their wives. Mm -hmm. They were were big shots. They were uh, machers. We use that. We had that word as one of our Yiddish words. They're big shots. Mm -hmm. And so the rabbi said, you know, we got to find a way to... Make sure that they realize that they're yes, their God-given authority is over their families, but 
but they need to be reminded that someone is higher than them, Mm -hmm. that they are under, as it were, the head, the head, they're under God. And so the yarmulke, again, when I was growing up in the 50s and 60s, when you went into a public government building, you took your hat off. Men wore fedoras back in mm-hmm. when I was real little. They, I remember a very uh, uh, well-dressed man had his suit uh, and had his hat. And it was part of being a well-dressed person. Uh, the idea of baseball caps, the way we wear them all the time, not done that many years ago. Except for Jewish men. You could A Jewish man could go into a government building and he would not take his hat off. And the, once he did that, it marked them out. And sometimes to the chagrin of all the Gentiles, were, oh, oh, yeah, he's Jewish. He's got a, yeah. So it marks, it's a mark again. It's the idea of being set apart. It's the idea that we are a different people. Mm-hmm. And Chris I, I brings a question. We rebel against being different. Growing up, when I went to school, you did you wanted to blend. At least me, you wanted to blend in. Is it? How do we? Is it good to be different? And is it easy to be different? No, and I. That's the tough part about being a Christian today in our societies. I think we've grown up for a very long time in a country that has the the stream of culture and the Christian way of life. Uh, flowed uh, in one direction. You know, within the past few decades, the the stream has started going in the opposite direction, and Christians are starting to look very different. And uh, to be different is to be loud, and in in some cases, for those people, extreme. You know, uh, you hear those people. Oh, they're they're the they're the extreme right wing. You know, well, really, uh, they're, they're, I mean, they're just. Talking about things that might have not, you know, been might have been that way fifty years ago or forty years ago, but they're they are countercultural to what's going on. I think Christianity and Judaism has always been des- designed to be countercultural, and so it is hard to be that way. And I think the church is wrestling with this right now. How much of the culture do we embrace, and how much of the culture do we have to say, "Up, oh, this can't come in." To the confines of the church, or into the confines of Judaism as well, in, in the in 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 the Jewish faith, that you you get the same problem. I think that the church has in Judaism. There are the more reformed, liberal, open-minded synagogues um, that just go right along with the culture, um, where the Orthodox are totally different, or even the conservative are totally different. The same can be said in churches. Those who hold fast to the scriptures and what the scriptures teach, uh, uh, put uh, you know, make sure that. The culture doesn't change the church. The church has always been this way, and it must remain true to the Word of God. And so because of that, we are different, and it's always been that way. You know, it's. I think it's a good segue, Chris. I know you have lined up uh, YouTube that we uh, want to show, and it's John Lennox, who is a brilliant uh, scientist, mathematician, uh, and a God-fearer, a Christian, uh, and he defends— uh, the belief in God, and he often is debating atheists. Mm-hmm. And I ran across this YouTube, uh, and they're both English. The, both the uh, the atheist and John is uh, actually, I think he's Irish, but they're both distinguished, educated men. They and just I, sound I, smart. I love both of them the way they argue. I argue, what? 
Yeah. <laughs> and my arms are, they're so calm. Anyway, this particular video, I think, uh, just captures really the ethos of what we're struggling with in a culture. Uh, on one side is the atheist, very well-educated, and how does he look at those who believe in God? Primitive. Primitive. Uneducated. Simple-minded. Well, you're even saying his premise, in because we're not going to play the whole thing, but his premise is that, hey, had there been science first, there would have been no need for religion. Exactly. And he's saying science has had a hard time overcoming the primitive traditions primitive. and super superstitious uh, uh, activities of religion. If it were the other way around, it would have been much better. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so John Lennox is listening to about a three-and-a-half-minute very calm, sounds one. I love the accent, sounds wonderful. And then finally he's given an opportunity and here's what he says. Peter, uh, we can't reverse history as you say, but we can reverse it on the personal level. There's a book sitting right there called The Language of God by Francis Collins. He started off in atheism. His slate was written on by atheism to start with. And he came to the conclusion as people like C.S. Lewis did and Alistair McGrath, who was here did, and many other people did, um, that the evidence for God is so strong that they abandoned their atheism. And I have seen this happen in colleagues and friends of mine. So I just think your argument doesn't hold water. The issue for all of us is what is true? Yeah, but in that case, it's early stage senility, I think. But it's very easy to write it off like that. If I just said that was the same of atheism, you want but a comfort. Not, I mean, no, but what, what, what comfort does atheism give you? It gives you the comfort that you never have to meet God. That's that the key line. That is the key line. I just thought that was... And look, if you're watching the video, that makes John Lennox lean... If you look at body language, yeah. that is because he leans you never right in. have to meet God. Yep. And that's it. Yep. That's it. That's that was a good one when you showed that that we wanted to air it because it does show the it's it's to be a faithful follower of God is to be counterculture. You cannot simply embrace the world system. Uh, you, you, there are even in Christianity, we are a grace we are grace oriented, but that still doesn't mean that we do whatever we want. Um, in fact, it actually means that there we don't want to abuse grace. There's there's a way that we walk by. We've mentioned this before um, in in past podcasts, Steve, is that, you know, Paul says you should walk in this manner. That is a very Jewish concept to walk. It it comes, the, the, the Hebrew word uh, is halak, which means to walk. And that's where Jewish people have a term that they use um, for laws. It's called halakic laws, walking laws. And what is it? It's not that you actually are walking. It's your behavior. It's the way that you act. And in fact, a lot of halakic laws for Jewish people were organized and created when they were living outside of the land of Israel. So they had to learn as a Jewish person, how do I maintain my Jewish identity and my faith in God in a world that is absolutely countercultural and different than who I am, just as Daniel was in Nebuchadnezzar's court? How do I maintain my Jewish identity, my faith in God, when everything else is telling me to do the opposite? And so a lot of the halakhic laws, the walking laws, 
were created during this time. They show up in the Mishnah, and they show up in the Talmud, which is just a furtherance of the Mishnah. It's commentary on the com- of the law. It's law commentary. All of We love stuff. commentaries. Oh, yeah, we just <laughs> uh, got tons of commentaries. In fact, I think we have some scattered in our bookshelves here. But the point I'm trying to make is that we have our own sets of, as Christians, we live by grace, but we have also been commanded to follow God's commands that are in the New Testament. And, uh, and they don't—I don't believe they simply erase what was going on in the Old Testament, but that there is a new command that Jesus gives us to love, to love each other. But all of it stems from the way that we treat one another and we love one another. But it's not as though we just get off free and we can go do whatever we want. We live by grace, but there are still ways that we walk in order to be pleasing to the Lord. And so I guess what I'm trying to say is that makes us different. It marks us as different right away. And in fact, when Gentiles came into the church in Acts chapter 15, they were marked different. They didn't have to be Jewish. That's the point. Okay, fine. Gentiles don't have to be Jewish, but they still have to do some Jewish things. They, they, they have to um, abstain from sexual immorality. That's If you're a pagan and you've been going to the temple your whole life of some pagan god and doing some unkosher things at that temple uh, when it comes to sexual immorality, you got to stop that now. Now, that's a big cultural change. Big cultural change. And the other thing is actually adopting not kosher food laws, but certain aspects of the type of food that you can eat. So there were little tiny, you know, moments where the Gentiles did have to change the ways that they were in the past in order to uh, 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 have fellowship with Jewish people in the church. Um, in Acts chapter 15. This is big because you're actually asking those Gentiles, look it, you don't have to be Jewish, you don't have to be circumcised, you don't have to keep all the festivals, but you do. You do have to do these certain things that will mark you as different from the rest of the world that you've grown up in. And, and Chris, how many testimonies have you heard? And mine is one of them, but how many have you heard where it was somebody who was living the life that caught the attention of someone else and was the impetus for them to search because there's something different. Uh, to me, the ultimate compliment to any Christian is if a, uh, a non-believer says, there's something different about you. Mm-hmm. At what makes you tick? I've heard people, in, as I've had opportunity to travel in churches, people have come up to me and said, yep, there was a person in my life I First, I thought they were kind of crazy. They were this, they were that. They were different, and I wanted what they have. Yep. And isn't the good news is they can have it. They can have it. It's free. It is free. Boy, that alone is good. <laughs> but but it was costly, wasn't it? It was very. It took the blood of Christ, his death, but it's free for us. He paid it all. And if you're living in a culture that is completely—think about the Apostle Paul. You know, I actually think a lot of the Apostle Paul's life is trying to mimic what the, the suffering that Jesus went through. Um, he didn't try to just go off into the Mediterranean and take a cruise ship to the nice areas of Rome. No, you know, he was in jail for two years for his faith. I mean, he 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 was constantly beaten and, and shoved away. Uh, he faced great persecution— for what he believed, and that was in two different cultures. That was in the pagan culture he went into as a as an apostle to the Gentiles, and then it was in his own Jewish culture he was being pushed away and persecuted for what he believed. And so he faced it from both sides. But still, if you think about that, that means that he was being countercultural, countercultural to the pagan world, and even countercultural in some way to the uh, Jewish world. 
that uh, he was, I don't want to say he was criticizing. He was just announcing the Messiah has come. So. 100%. Next uh, podcast, we'll talk about the tefillin. Talk about really being marked out. How about being on a LL flight or a United or American flight, and you're on your way from New York to uh, to Israel, and uh, the sun is going to be coming up, and you got to put on your tefillin, and you're 30,000 feet up, and there's all these people in the plane, and you're uh, Jewish and observant. What do you do, Chris? But you got to pray. You got to you got to pray. And you know what you got to do? You might have to tap on a few shoulders. Are you Jew? Can I wake you up? Are you Jewish? <laughs> we need yeah. a minion. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> now, we'll look at that, and we'll look at a mezuzah yep. next week as well. So be sure to come back for that. Um, we are going to be moving to the news, Steve, and you found this one that I thought was so interesting. Doctors reattach boy's head after car accident thanks to an amazing surgery. Uh, surgery. Doctors at, and it happened in Israel, doctors at oh, yeah. Israel's Hadassah Medical Center perform a miraculous surgery. Steve, let's talk about that. I mean, headlines get to me. Whoever write, you know, that's, that's the purpose of a headline, especially when you're online. I scroll around looking just... For my own amusement, sometimes for the podcast, just looking. And when you see, I thought, doctors reattached. <laughs> that means it wasn't attached. Yeah. They reattached his head. And then you read the article. So this is coming from Fox News. Uh, but what's interesting is the it's a 12-year-old boy. His name is Suleiman Hassan. He's 12 years old. He lives in the West Bank. And he was riding his bike when a car hit him. A car hit him. He's rushed to Hadassah Medical Center and immediately put into surgery in the trauma unit. And uh, Dr. Ohad Ainav, the orthopedic specialist, led the operation, said the procedure took several hours. You think? Yeah, 100%. <laughs> yeah. I thought maybe several days. Yeah, well, he's, uh, we did it in 10 minutes. <laughs> he says, our ability to save the child was thanks to our knowledge and the most innovative technology in the operating room, Ainav said, uh, adding that the team fought for the boy's life. In fact, Chris... Uh, Hassan, only, after the operation, he only had a 50% chance of surviving. But they, what happened? Oh, he survived. Uh, well, and actually, it, you had mentioned that they didn't originally share this because they didn't know what the outcome would be. But now that he's in safe territory, the operation occurred in June, but doctors waited a month to announce the results. The hospital recently discharged Hassan with a cervical splint. And will continue to monitor, um, I, I monitor the boy. The fact that such a child has no neurological uh, de uh, defects or sensory or motor dysfunction, and that he is functioning normally and walking without an aid after such a long process is no small thing. You think? Hundred percent. The father. This is remember. This is in the in uh, Judea Samaria, the West Bank. He's a Palestinian boy. The father never left his son's side once the uh, procedure was done. He says, quote, bless you all. Thanks to you, he regained his life even when the odds were low and the danger was obvious. What saved him were professionalism, technology, quick decision-making by the trauma and orthopedics team. Uh, and the father is most grateful. And and uh, here's here was the key to the surgery, they said. Preserving blood flow to the brain. Mm. I, I, this, 
this is long out of my yeah. area. And yeah. anyway, you're, you're a vlogger and a blogger. I you're not a doctor. Nothing. I got bupkis. <laughs> it's it says it sounds like from the story that the major blood vessels were likely not severed, and that this involved orthopedic orthopedic rebuilding, probably using rods and reattaching ligaments and possibly bone grafts and implants. Oh, oh, and I, this comes from that uh, incredibly racist, anti, uh, uh, what is it? Not anti, uh, racist and uh, what do they call that? From South America. The oh, apartheid. Apartheid country, Israel, who hates the Palestinians and doesn't care about them and their well-being. Here is two Israeli doctors, an entire hospital, Hadassah Hospital in Jerusalem, serving a Palestinian kid and listen, uh, getting I, the most expert care. And by the way, we commit. This is good. We're not. Yeah, we're I'm not. Joking. We're not saying this in a bad way. No. They they care about the life of the person. Uh, and Chris, how often have we read news stories where a terrorist who blows themselves up, male or female, and it doesn't kill them? Next to us, the surgical room is next to the victims the victim. as yep. they operate on the one who did it. It happens many, many times. Uh, how about in uh, north in uh, the Golan, where a civil war was going on and and there are casualties? The they fly them into Israel. That's right. The two. Both well, enemies Israel's, of Israel, and they take care of. They them. set up field uh, hospitals up there as well. Um, so, Steve, if uh, I want to encourage our listeners to come to Israel with us, um, because there's amazing sites that you can see, and one of those amazing sites uh, that we love to visit—it's actually one of my favorite places to go—is Caesarea by the Sea. Um, Caesarea by the Sea is an artificial port that Herod the Great built. Um, in the first century BC, leading up to the birth of Christ. And it was a very pagan town. You know, we talked about culture. We were talking about culture earlier. This is not the type of, when, when Herod built this, Caesarea. He wasn't building it for Jews. He was not building it for Jews. <laughs> Even Peter uh, is reluctant to go to Caesarea. Um, but uh, anyway, Caesarea had a very long history as a port that was built in the first century BC. Um, but if you ever come to Israel with us, you'll get a chance to see the history of Caesarea in a video. And it's it's a 20-minute video or so, but it'll show you going from when the moment uh, um, uh, Herod built it all the way through the centuries into the or, you know early church history, all of this stuff, the Byzantine, blah, 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 it keeps going on and on. But it, a new study came out that says this, and this comes from our friend Alan in Canada who sent this to us. Thank you, Alan. New study confirms tsunami destroyed Caesarea in the 8th century AD. She shall be, it says this from Isaiah 29, verse 6, she shall be remembered, the Lord of hosts, with roaring and shaking and uh, deafening noise, storm and tempest, and blaze of consuming fire. That comes, uh, that's the little verse they put with it. But it says new research indicates that a tsunami in 749 AD. No, nope. CE. CE. You got to explain CE. Oh, Chris. CE is common era. So they, why do they do that? that? Well, they get, because Jesus, it's too religious. That's important. Exactly. That's important info. Any Jewish document. You read if it's if it's published by Jewish people, uh, it's going to have uh, uh, before C BCE and uh, before CE the, before, before the common the, era before the common era instead of saying BC before Christ, 
and after the common era mm-hmm. a- CE. So anyway, that's imp- that's because I've had people come up to me. What's with these dates? I don't understand. What's this all about? Anyway, that's right. That's it, it's it's, about. it's the more what they would consider the more scholarly. It's scholarly. They got rid of the AD and the BC and they do BCE and CE. But new research indicates that a tsunami in 70, uh, 749 CE caused by an earthquake was the final destructive element that finished off the coastal city of Caesarea Maritima. The research will help understand how the region reacted in the past to such natural catastrophes and will also help predict future events. And this all comes from a team from the University of Haifa School of Marine Sciences. Um, So anyway, very interesting, Steve, because you and I have marched through um, Caesarea. It's It's a national park. In fact, Caesarea... Today is one of the wealthiest towns in all of Israel. It's where all the Bibi Netanyahu lives. He has a very nice Mediterranean coastal home. It's the only town in Israel, Caesarea today, with a golf course. A hundred percent. So it's it's uh, it's bougie today. Uh, and it was bougie back then too. Herod made everything bougie, and so here well, the weather is spectacular there. It's just and the water is crystal blue. It's very very nice. Now, one of my favorite things to do is to give people enough time to go around and go through Caesarea. I go to the coffee shop and get myself a cup of coffee and sit out and look over the Mediterranean. But it's got a lot of great biblical history. But this is a new study I thought was interesting. I think it's great. Maybe to convince some of our listeners to come to Israel You never know. And Chris, I understand that uh, yesterday you were recording for the radio. You are our radio voice at FOI. And uh, you finally had enough, you and the radio team, and you were you did a whole program on Biden and why he he's so terrible. He hasn't invited Netanyahu. He hasn't. He's not interested. He's anti-Semitic. He's anti-Israel. And so, and and by the way, at the time that you did that, there was good cause for you to do that. And I know you worked on that. You spent a lot of time. And then what happened? Well, that was the so we put the whole bit together because coming over uh, is going to be the president of Israel, Isaac Herzog. Is uh, today's the nineteenth? Yeah, no, tomorrow. So tomorrow, Wednesday, July nineteenth, Isaac Herzog, the president of Israel, not yep, the prime I only, minister. I have an I, he has an O. That's the difference. That's right. You guys are practically family. <laughs> but uh, Isaac Herzog is like the JFK. The, the Kennedy, the Herzog family in Israeli politics are like the Kennedys. They've been around for a long time. Um, all of that. And so anyway, um, he's the president. That's different than the prime minister. 100%. And so this does. This was not originally a snuff to um, Netanyahu because his arrival, um, Isaac Herzog's arrival into Washington, D.C. this week is to commemorate the Israel's 75th anniversary. Congress wanted to do something for him. And so they didn't have a prime minister at that point. They knew there would be, this was, they invited him back in November of last year. And so there wasn't a prime minister yet. There wasn't solidified. So they invited out Herzog. Okay. So this wasn't originally a snuff to uh, to Netanyahu, but it kind of became that way because Netanyahu became the prime minister and got bupkis from Biden. Yeah, he's been in office now. What six months? Eight months? No, no phone call, no conversation, no invitation to the White House. Bupkis, bupkis, which is a big deal because normally presidents do that with the Israeli prime ministers. And so, all that to say, I had done a bit that just said Biden did not. This is an opportunity for Biden because Biden is very vocal. This is the thing I'm not a fan of. Biden is very vocal about Israeli politics. That means he's taking. 
you know, his opinion about Israel and publicly stating what he thinks the United States believes about what's going on in Israel with their own political divides. And so I was saying that this is an opportunity to have the president who is uh, supposed to technically be an apolitical figure in Israeli politics and to be able to welcome Israel, say, I support Israel, but I don't like what your government's doing. Uh, well, I was uh, surprised that last night, the, the moment I do this whole bit, <laughs> this video, this radio, the whole thing, guess what happens? Biden calls Netanyahu and says, we want you to come to Washington. <laughs> so I ca- I texted uh, uh, Tom, a colleague here who runs the video department. I said, I think we should scratch that one because it's not true anymore. Yep. And so we want to be honest. We want to be true. Um, so anyway, things change. But the, it, the, the article we're talking about, which just came in today, uh, from Sharon Goodrow, who is a uh, she is a news junkie. Oh, news junkie! And so she's on vacation and sent me this article today while she's on vacation. Gone off a clip. Dems Dems grapple with anti-Semitism ahead of president's visit. Why is that? Because some people are boycotting. They're boycotting the president, who's an apolitical person, the, as you the said, the Israeli president, the Israeli president. Mm-hmm. And they're boycotting him because Israel's terrible in their eyes. The Israeli president functions a lot like King Charles in England functions. He's not in charge of the government. He doesn't have, except for uh, approving the government that comes in, the president of Israel is simply a ceremonial position that's designed to uh, to kind of be a representation for Israel around the world. But then that's what makes it very interesting is that this person is simply just a figurehead in Israeli uh, in uh, for the state of Israel. And it says this Democrat. This comes from the Washington Free Beacon. Democratic leaders are rushing to combat accusations of anti-Semitism after a slew of anti-Israel comments from members of the party raised the stakes on a planned Democratic boycott of Israeli President Isaac Herzog's address to Congress. At least four members of the Democratic Party progressive squad announced that they would boycott Herzog's address to Congress this Wednesday. The group includes uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez from New York, uh, Jamal uh, Jamal Bowman from New York, Cori Bush, um, a Democrat from uh, Montana, not Montana, what's that? Uh, Missouri. Missouri. And Ilhan Omar from Minnesota. Uh, and so they all plan on boycotting. They said the scrutiny this weekend for criticizing Israel, which Jayapal slammed as a, quote, racist state. Who attaches heads to Palestinian children. That's right. Who got run over by a car and everybody's smiling and happy. And that's right. That's it's funny. It's called a racist state. You know, that's what. And so they're boycotting the Israeli president's visit. Let's be clear, Chris. And this is fair. Are there racists in Israel? Yes. Yes. Are there racists in the United States? Yes. Yes, there are. Is the United States a racist country? No. No. Look at the law. The laws are designed and passed to protect people. They're not always adhered to. Just like in Judaism, Mm -hmm. there's the law. God gave the law. The greatest lawgiver, the most compassionate, kind, gracious, and we break them. That doesn't make God evil. It makes the people who don't follow evil. In Israel, it's a great place to be. In fact, to back it up, they took, they've taken surveys in the, what's called the West Bank, Judea, Samaria, and if uh, the question was, if this is turned over 
to uh, Palestinian Authority, which side do you want to be on? This is asking Palestinians. Mm-hmm. I, before they close shop, I want to be. On I want to be an Israeli citizen. Mm-hmm. The majority every time. All that's saying is that there's opportunity there. They're not racist. There's troubles. People have troubles, but no, it's not racist. That so that it's an interesting gone off the cliff is what it's called. We've linked that Dems grapple with anti-Semitism ahead of Israeli president's visit, and this is big too because see, Israel has always been a bipartisan issue. You know, a lot of these uh, progressive squad members they've taken over Democratic seats that at one point were supportive of Israel. We know, you know, they were very important, you know, important figures in supporting the state of Israel. Now they've been upended, and the these new squad members take over, and they actually are very, very anti-Zionist, uh, uh, which means they don't like Israel at all, so much so that they won't even come listen to the president. And it speech. doesn't hurt them in their districts, which tells, which is a very dangerous sign. They're elected. They're duly elected. They're at transparent about what they believe, and they continue to get the votes. What's that telling? I Well, we're going to have to have a further conversation about that because I think it's important to distinct, to understand the similarities between anti-Zionism and anti-Semitism. 100%. But in light of that, Steve, Yiddish word of the day. Uh, Yiddish yeah, word of the yeah. day. Chris, let's do the English first and why you chose it. Okay. The English is... Hole in the head. Well, I thought hole in the head is funny. Well, it's not because what happened to this boy is funny, but I thought it was a funny connection that this poor kid, he got run over by a car and he, like his head disconnected. He had internal decapitation, it's called. It was a hole in the head. And yeah. the Israeli doctors and stitched atheist, it back up. the atheist guy talking to John Lennox, he's got a hole in his head without any physical hole That's being there. a hundred percent. And so the Yiddish word of the day is lachen Luck and chup. You gotta do the chup. Luck and chup. Okay, and that means hole in the head. Hole in the head. Luck and chup. One. I, maybe that should be one of the things on a mug and a mug. Luck and he- <laughs> Who knows? I know I've got luck and luck and chup sometimes. Luck and chup. I got a hole in the head sometimes. Uh, yeah, yeah, That's yeah, yeah, good. Yeah. Anyway, hey everybody, thank you so much for listening to the Jew and Gentile podcast. Don't forget, go to foiequip.org and there you can register for Tim Harrison's upcoming classes. Third one is final installment. Patriarchs and Presidents coming up next. That's right. So you can not only register for Tim Harrison's class if you haven't done already, you can sign up for Paul Scharf's class, uh, Patriarchs and Presidents. Be sure to do that. Hey, everybody, thank you so much for joining us. Hey, guess what? We'll see you next week.